This is Mission.org. It's interesting that the industry that we're in, we actually believe that we have one of the most ethical approaches to first-party data because all of our survey questions, our platform, you're opting in to answer them. So there's nothing behavioral that's going on. You determine whether or not you want to enter into a survey and answer it. Additionally, we help companies manage their own first-party data. And the rules that we apply there are similar in that, yes, let people opt into what they want to actually share with you as a basis for the market research that you're doing. Of course, organizations desire insights concerning people so they can better pursue their goals. However, given privacy concerns and regulations intended to address them, many institutions are reconsidering how they acquire the personal data that drives their insights. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. And today, Kamar Doshi, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Scent, a company that helps organizations gain research insights through digital surveys, talks about how Scent maintains an ethical practice concerning first-party data. He describes how first-party data at Scent is earned from survey participants who opt in to offer their information by answering questions. In this compelling conversation, Kamar also explains the lessons he's learned by experiencing mergers and how Lucid, the previous company he worked for, has recently been acquired by Scent. Listen in for all that and many more insights that Kamar's accumulated on his career path. Enjoy the episode. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. For our listeners out there, we appreciate you. If you don't know, you should know that the reason this podcast happens is because we're sponsored by Salesforce. We appreciate you, Salesforce. So when you think about the world's number one CRM, marketing and engagement, if you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Here we go. Kumar Doshi, SVP of marketing at Scent. First question of the lightning round. What are you betting on for the future? All right, I'll give you two uh, uh, professional ones and then a personal one. Okay. Professionally, I'm betting on the fact that marketing continues to become more center stage in a company 
of all different types. It's played different roles in different companies, and I'm betting on the fact that it will play a more central role uh, in companies. I'm also betting on the fact that uh, marketing will continue to be a mix of creativity and analytics. I think that trend started long ago, and it will continue on that. And then the fun one is I'm betting that baseball will become much more popular than it is currently. All right. All right. I like that. Okay. Next question. If you have to build a marketing team from scratch tomorrow, what role are you hiring first and why? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, So obviously the answer to that really depends on what stage the company is and what type of company, right? Because that could influence if you're a B2C company, then demand gen is probably going to rank higher. Uh, but if I'm just given one role, I would hire a, uh, a five or six tool utility player, much like in baseball, uh, that can kind of do it all. That'd be the first person, a generalist. Next question. Wendy's and Chipotle have joined a growing number of companies and brands exploring this potential of virtual worlds. What do you make of this? Well, let me tell you, back when I worked at Microsoft, I was huge on virtual worlds. If you remember Second Life? Yes, yes. My team and I, I was like really imploring them to like, let's go build some stuff in Second Life. So Believer, back then, I think it's a bigger gamble now. Will virtual worlds be a thing? Yes. Uh, will they be as big as we think and as fast as we think? Probably no. I think a, a, a more interesting thing is augmented reality that puts a virtual world in our, in our current environment. Uh, I think that's much more compelling. Mm. Well, I love your answer there. I, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because unbeknownst to you, a couple hours ago, I interviewed the CEO and co-founder of a company called Zapper, uh, I think based out of the UK, this guy named Casper. Uh, you know this guy? He's an, a, it's an AR. It's a big, it's an interesting company around, it's all AR. And they're working with a lot of storied brands kind of across the fortune, et cetera. Very fascinating guy. And I love that space they're in. So very bullish on the AR world. That was well done. And we didn't even, you didn't even know we talked to him today. So Kamar, you're winning, man. You're winning. <laughs> what impresses you? In general or in life? Yeah, just whatever comes up when you hear that. What impresses you? Oftentimes I'm pr- impressed with people. So uh, there's times when I meet somebody and I'm like, that's an impressive human being. And usually those characteristics are grounded on like uniqueness or kindness, or they, they over-index on a certain quality that I hold important that I admire. I also am impressed with humans, and we'll get a little philosophical here, our constant drive for innovation. It's unending. Uh, we are the only animal on this planet maybe in the universe, we don't know, but that is insatiable. And that is impressive on some fronts. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? Oh, you're keeping me in the philosophical realm, huh? (laughs) Uh, Goodness gracious. I would be traveling all throughout time. I don't know if there's a specific version. I guess with this time machine, I could go into the future. That seems exciting. You could go future or past, yeah. But, you know, I'm really waiting for the time when time is just a moment and, and we eliminate time from all mathematical equations and see what that looks like. So 
are we currently living in the Big Bang? Mm. Uh, see, you took you took that one to a whole other whole other realm. All right, I like it. What is success for you? How do you define success? Personally, success is more about the experience and this notion of equanimity through the experience. Yes, it feels great when I feel great or I have my team and my family feel great. So yes, that that is a driving force uh, for me. But really, I think success at a very uh, spiritual level will be when I'm seeking equanimity. Mm. What is your favorite app on your phone? Currently, baseball started. I'm a huge baseball fan. I think I've already mentioned that a couple of times. Right now, it's uh, Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. I cannot get enough of it. Okay. All right. What's a skill that you believe everyone should have? The ability to empathize with others. I love that one. If you could effortlessly pick up a new skill in an instant, what would it be? Oi. Oh, goodness. You know, there's this thought about, I guess I would want this. I'm going to say it. There's the idea of the omega point, which is when all of the world's information is known to all people at the same time. I guess I'd want the omega point from me. Wow. That's, that's, that might be my favorite answer of all time for that question. So thank you. Okay. It's a little dangerous though, right? Like I, I was thinking through like, do I really want that? I guess I would have to trust that I won't be over, um, overwhelmed by that. But yeah, let's just say Omega point minus all the overwhelming. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So let's, let's get into the nitty gritty. Can you tell us a little bit about Lucid and Scent and this merger and then your role there as SVP of marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my current position as a member of Lucid. I was brought on as a the VP of marketing, was asked to build out the team, make marketing much more impactful to the business and to the revenue and to the future of the company. Uh, we were uh, acquired by a company called Scent. They're in the same space. And in fact, Many of the kind of vision and mission of the two companies are very similar. Both companies are trying to change the way that people do market research. Both companies have introduced technology as a means of doing that. Both companies are looking to transform the way that people get their questions answered at, at a very top level. Now I continue the, the marketing effort as part of Sint. And under the same kind of, yeah, slightly different vision and mission. Uh, but yeah, it is to transform the way that people get their questions answered. Is this the first time you were a marketing leader that went through an acquisition? No, uh, no. This okay. is like two or three. Okay. Okay, cool. So that, I think that's an interesting aside. You know, some people will, have, will go through like, like you, many, some will have, you know, their first time. Some are going through it right now. Some marketing leaders are in that conversation now. Since you've had a few laps around the track in terms of being a marketing leader and going through acquisition, 
what are some of the things you've learned in, in that kind of at that intersection? Because there's a lot of obvious things where you're stepping into a new infrastructure and a new culture and, and, and you being the marketing leader often sets the tone of culture in a lot of ways and your influence a lot in terms of the leadership team, et cetera. But what are some of the takeaways, you know, or just key lessons you've learned going through an acquisition as a marketing leader? It's a great question, Jeremy. And uh, I'm not just saying that. I, th- I don't think this is discussed enough. I had told my team when we made an announcement around what to expect. So one of those things is that all mergers, acquisitions, integrations are different. Uh, number two, your time frame of what you think is going to happen by when is always incorrect. Uh, it always takes a lot longer than you initially imagined uh, and uh, to take that into account. Number three is that through the, the acquisition and integration, you'll get little pieces of information. It won't all come at once. And it, you'll get a little piece of information that's going to help you determine how you want to react to it specifically. I'm a big believer that in a, in a marketing team, different people are at different places in their careers, uh, in their personal lives. And so integrations mean different things to those different people. And so I think really waiting for that information, reacting to it on an individual basis is the best thing you can do. And then the final thing, and I like to usually just do three, but I'll add another one here. You know, super important to be open-minded about the integration, to go into it believing and just with an open mind, uh, because I think too often what we walk into integrations with is very closed-minded positions. Okay, cool. So in, along the lines of just talking about Scent now and, and first-party data specifically, do you or does Scent take a, like an ethical position concerning the prom- promotion of first-party data? Yeah. So it's interesting that the industry that we're in, uh, we actually believe that we have one of the most ethical approaches to first-party data mm. because all of our survey questions are platform, you're opting in to answer them. So there's nothing behavioral that's going on. There's nothing else going on. You determine whether or not you want to enter into a, uh, a survey and answer it. Additionally, we help companies manage their own first-party data. And the rules that we apply there are similar. Yes, let people opt into what they want to actually share with you as a basis for the, what, the market research that you're doing. Do you foresee the entire world moving toward first-party data? Or will there always be some use of third-party data? Yeah, let's put some time. Uh, I don't see that happening in the next 10 to 15 years. Okay. I think there'll always be second and third-party data, at least for the next 10 to 15 years. Beyond that, tough to say, right? Because I think where eyeballs will move, really tough to predict uh, 15 years from now. How we'll actually think about data, difficult to predict. But I can say with confidence, or at least my feeling is, over the next 10 to 15 years, there'll be more than just first-party data. From your, your perspective and, and experience, I mean, why, why is there such a shift towards first-party data? I mean, is it, is it more that people are demanding that in terms of privacy, et cetera, or is it more because first-party data is superior? I think that with the advertising uh, world and ad tech specifically is not unlike any other innovations. So when you have the first, the first wave of the innovation, there's a lot of energy and excitement around the use of it. And all the parties involved are looking to use it. 
Then when a little bit more time goes along, you start to see some of the pitfalls of it. And then you have a reaction. So I think ad tech is, is going along the same curve as other technologies have. And it's just reckoning with some of the drawbacks. And that's the reaction that you're seeing. Now, some technologies like the telephone, this is an interesting story. The first phone call that was made between Chicago and the West Coast, people on the West Coast had never heard of telephones. They literally thought it was the work of the devil because they couldn't understand how a voice of their aunt or someone that they love was coming through this device, right? So that pitfall, they hit pretty early <laughs> and they had to overcome that. But, but, you know, I think ad tech is going through the same kind of stages as most technologies do. And that's what we're seeing. Hmm. Tell us kind of how, how Scent works with companies today and maybe share one of your favorite use cases or case studies or, or projects you've worked on since joining and and some of the outcomes and things you found there? Scent helps customers in a few different ways. Uh, we can help you do market research, either as a software that you use on our platform or as a service. So we can, we can have a managed service, a team of people helping you do the market research. The other thing that we do is panel management. So if you have a, a bunch of people in your database that you want to continue to leverage for getting responses to questions. We can help you manage that panel. We can help you, and this is an interesting application of market research. We can help you understand media measurement better. So how well did your ad perform? How well is your brand doing based on the advertising that you've been doing recently? And the way we do that is just survey the people that saw your ad and ask them how they feel about your brand or the ad. That's an interesting application of market research. Um, that's like a, a the main things uh, that that Sint offers. A good use case is we recently helped a foundation understand the new uh, work life work from home data and really see what trends are showing up there. That was a pretty involved uh, market research, actually. And we're not the only ones that did it, right? Microsoft put out something, McKinsey put out something, but the methodology that they used would be very similar to the the way that we did it. We just have access to the largest pool of respondents in the world. Mm, that sounds like a, a secret sauce right there. Yeah, yeah. With Lucid and Scent coming together, we have a, a technology platform that has the largest pool of respondents to survey questions in the world. Wow, that's amazing. So let's talk about ResTech for a second. For those who are less familiar, can you share more about ResTech and how it can be used to assist in marketing? Yes, absolutely. So ResTech stands for Research Technology, and it is literally the, the technology bend to approach to market research. Much like ad tech, Lucid and Scent brought research into a technology platform, a marketplace. And in that marketplace, people that want to ask questions can go and find people that want to answer those questions. And introduced a level of technology that wasn't there before. The next step that we took is we created a category called ResTech for this phenomenon that was happening. That allowed other companies that are either helping reduce fraud or helping verify that a respondent is a respondent or dot, 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 or doing market research in this other way through the use of technology. It gave all of those companies and ours a place to call home. And also, 
The side benefit is let investors and the outside investment community understand this entire industry and to actually value it and to give it funding. And so by creating a category, we created a home, but a way for other people outside of the industry to understand it. You, you've written about how ResTech can help companies get a sense of what you called shifting sentiments around impactful moments of our time, which I know you kind of just mentioned a little bit about that, specifically around that shifting sentiments around impactful moments of, of our time. I guess, how, how can ResTech help in this manner? At the start of the pandemic, we really want to understand certain consumer trends. And actually, a lot of companies came to us and said, we know things are shifting really quickly. Help us understand these shifting consumer trends. And so we worked with them and we, we did our own study around this where we started to uh, survey the same set of people or a different set of people, depending on the need of the study, and really understood like, hey, are you going to buy more groceries this week? Okay, how about this week? Okay, how about this week? And that way, through the use of market research and research technology platform, like since you can actually do that on a regular and a coordinated and, and a cost-effective manner. Our goal is to understand the opinions and thoughts of people and enable companies to be able to do the same so that they can make better decisions for their business. Can you chat about some of the different use cases of sent for, for surveys, like from academia to politics to market research to advertising, et cetera. Certainly accurate survey responses are very important in all of these areas. Yeah. So you've covered the main ones. And obviously before the elections, actually before the elections, Lucid at the time hosted the largest national political poll ever. Oh, wow. In the history of the U.S. Yeah. Wow. We enabled uh, an organization to actually do that. That organization was comprised of uh, a university and a, like a, a research uh, team. Uh, so, yeah. So, political is one. Advertising is another. Consumer trends across all your key industries like auto, CPG is another. Consulting firms like McKinsey and such use us as well because consulting firms are doing research studies on behalf of their customers. Academics is a huge area for us as well, because academics need certain, they, they have to have certain requirements in order to make their study actually publishable. And so we meet those requirements. The idea here is to be able to enable anyone that has a question to be able to find someone that can answer it. What did you, what did you notice, you know, in the past couple of years, the world changed a lot. It seems like depending on who you ask, behavior has changed a lot. What, what if you kind of noticed, generally speaking, or you can get specific if you want, but just in terms of like how, yeah, how consumers and how customers and how users have shifted in the past couple of years. Any like interesting things that you're like, hmm, I didn't expect that to go down, or here's one that I saw that obviously, you know, is here now or important things that matter more now to a user and a customer um, versus in the past couple of years? Any interesting things you noticed? Consumers are optimizing their time. And what we used to be able to go do, what would want to go do, we're holding our time so precious, we're willing to pay money to have someone else go do. That's one trend that I've seen. I think the other trend that we've seen is consumers are holding companies to a higher uh, level. And I mean that in a few different ways, both from a 
yes, things like DEI and ESG matter more. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that even more and more. That's gone into more of our purchase decisions. But also, I think we're holding customers or companies to another kind of on the negative side, right? Like I see consumers buying three the same shirt in three different colors and I'll sort it out and I'll let them worry about shipping it back. I don't need to worry about that. And that, that really puts a lot of stress on, on companies. And that's kind of related to the time thing I mentioned as number one. And then the third thing I'm seeing is that we're losing a bit of like that human connection that because it's being replaced by, by digital connections. So I'm seeing that deprecate a ton. Obviously, the pandemic sped that up. Can you talk about any kind of R&D things, experimental things that, you know, that you and the team at Center are working on, things, more forward-facing things, or is there an active part of marketing or the larger org where they're, they're testing and, and experimenting with things and any interesting findings there or stuff you can talk on? Yeah, I think one of the uh, things that our marketing team is uh, doing more of is thinking about that, that one platform that can help manage all other platforms. So let, let me say more about that. Right now, as a marketer, you're challenged with either having an agency or you doing it yourself, going to each of the different major ad platforms. I think marketers more and more are testing out things that lay out, layer on top. Um, that's a new trend that I'm seeing where I want that thing that lets manage everything. That's one thing. Look, with HubSpot and such, content marketing was a huge thing. I'm starting to see that as companies try to become much more relevant to and their customers, I think there's going to be a, a rebirth of content marketing and the role of it. Uh, I think we're going to see another spike in it. Uh, we're testing out some stuff in that area because I think the straight ad is is always going to be there, at least... It's going to be there for the next 50 years, but the content ad or the content play more, more precisely is going to play a bigger role. When you're, you know, selling, like who's the, who's the buyer of scent? Like, is it, is it the CTO? Is it the head of marketing? Like who are the ones that are really evaluating scent as an, as a solution for what they're looking for? Yeah. It depends on what it is that we're selling. Okay. So if we're selling the technology stack that is Scent, that gives you panel management, that gives you market research as a software, as a service, then we're likely talking to a CXO. And most times a CTO, sometimes a chief research officer as well. But that's when you're talking about a technology implementation. Uh, When we're talking on like a project level then you're looking at and the personas that we're most likely talking to are like the director of research or the director of market trends uh, or consumer behaviors, right? Uh, within either companies like Coca-Cola or within consulting firms or within market research firms themselves. It kind of depends on the, the solution that we're selling will change the persona that we're talking to. So let's let's zig let's zigzag a little bit back to the beginning of marketing for you, Kumar. And, and you know your background super interesting. You've worked at some amazing places. You're currently working at an amazing place. Um, but where did this dance with marketing start for you? School, parents, book, mentor, none of the above. What, when did that? When did the genesis of of like this love of marketing start for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess I've always had a love for it, but didn't really come to the forefront until. 
I, I devised my own rotational program at Intel, and I was in the self. Wait, wait, okay, hold on. You devised your own rotational program at a small company called Intel. Yes. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure you got that right for the record. This is amazing. Please continue. Yeah. Look, I, I coming out of undergrad, I was interviewing with a lot of different companies. Intel at the time was most impressive. This is '96 to give some context. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, in that interview, it was it was clear like I was expressing my desire to understand business and all the different functional areas. And the interviewers were saying, look, you could do that at this company. Yeah, you can have it. And I'm like, great. Can I devise my own rotational program? They're like, yes. And I was like, great. (laughs) And so, yeah, I started in product management. I moved to supply chain. And then when I did the one in finance, which is a whole separate story of how I even got that job, but the one in finance, I was working within the Intel Inside program. And at the time, they were a sizable spend uh, uh, you know, at the time. And I guess I could talk about it because it's so many years ago, but you know, they were close to a billion dollars in spend. So we were managing the finances for, for a uh, gigantic, the world's largest co-op branding program. And so I was working with a lot of marketers on the Intel Inside program. And that's where I really started to get a sense of like, wow, this is really cool. Like I started to do an analysis early on on marketing ROI because I was on the finance team, but working with marketers. And so that kind of project really got me into it. And then it really burgeoned when I joined Microsoft. I, I worked in a team called Beat. It was called Brand Entertainment and Experiences Team led by a woman named Gail Troberman. In that, I really started to understand digital advertising. I started to understand content marketing, engaging consumer experiences. It was an incredible team, and that cemented my, my desire in marketing. Wow, that's, I, I love that. And I can see how, you know, I mean, the rotational program, I think, is just such a pure play because, as you now know, as a marketing leader, you know, you, you have to be able to connect and engage, build trust and rapport and align with every, you know, executive leader. And so to be exposed to finance and the product and customer service and all the things you got to do there was really setting you up to to step into a leadership role where you are now, where you can very clearly have that dialogue to your right and your left because you've you had that exposure and then it, it continued at Microsoft and and so on. I, I love that. I think that's amazing. Talk about this transition from going from kind of individual contributor marketer to, to marketing leader. And maybe what were you doing at the time when, when you made that jump? What are some of the early lessons learned, favorite failures, kind of a thing when you stepped into leadership uh, and marketing leadership versus individual contributor? Yeah, um, it reminds me of a good story to share with you. So I was very interested in being promoted and climbing the corporate ladder in my, I guess, late 20s. I was at Microsoft and one manager gave me this advice. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we can get you promoted. That's not the issue. I just want to let you know that the farther up you go, the farther away you're going to get from the stuff that you actually like doing. (laughs) And I thought that was hilarious. I was just like, wow. wow." And in some ways, she's right, right? Because as you progress, um, you it's much more about people. It's more about cultivating talent within other individuals. So 
for my transition, I had to get a base of, of experience and marketing expertise that then I could actually help people that I'm managing understand. For me, the transition really was, you know, from, uh, yes, you're continuing to do the thing that you love to do, but you're just doing it in a different way. And you're doing it, you're doing this other thing, which is managing people that are supposed to do that thing in a, in a much deeper level. I think marketing is interesting in that it's gotten so complex that I believe marketing leaders still need to have their hands in it in order to, and obviously not as far deep as you would think, but you still need to be able to log into Google AdWords and know what you're looking at it is probably the easiest way to say it. But I think the transition really is, is uh, from managing things to managing people and their personalities and their growth aspirations, everything about them. <laughs> Can you tell us about a favorite failure you've had in, in your career, something that maybe seemed like a failure at the time and then got turned around or just taught you a really valuable lesson? Yeah, I, look, I think the, and this is going to sound like I'm sidestepping the question. And if, uh, if it is, we can try to answer it a different way. But I thought about this. And for me, the consistent failure is the risk that I haven't taken. It really is. Like, I think that when I take a look at myself and what I would tell individuals to take, when you do a self-assessment, really think about how, what's your risk tolerance and whether you're living up to the risk tolerance that you actually want to be able to live up to. Right. Because a lot of failures are stuff that you didn't do versus that you tried to do. And it, I mean, there is plenty of those. You tried to do it and it didn't work out. But uh, for me, it's, it's a lot of times that the, the thing that I didn't do that is often the failure. I really like that answer. Was, was, you didn't sidestep. That was well thought out. It's nice. Um, so this question is around the, this historic you know, talent transition happening. And a lot of companies are benefiting from, you know, this transition, but now they also have to retain the talent, right? And just as a leader, someone who, you know, grows high-performing teams, how are you tackling this in 2022? You're 100% right. The landscape has changed and we're going through a very unique period. I don't know how long it's going to last where there's a lot more demand than there is supply. Retention of talent becomes even more important in, a, in an environment like that. What we're doing is really trying to listen to, at an individual basis, what matters most to people. And we're at a very interesting time as a company. So I'll take this in two parts. The, what you do during an integration is very different than what you do as, you know, as a combined organization. On the combined organization, I'm always listening towards individually, what matters most to this person? People are driven by a lot of different factors. And it's very important, I tell my managers to listen to their team as well, individuals on their team, like what matters to Bill? Uh, what matters to Sarah? Go figure that out and then make sure that you're building the plan for them that aligns to what matters most to them. I also think that you know the saying is people quit managers, not jobs. I think there's a certain truth in that, but at times, like that scale uh, has different balances throughout time and throughout where a company is. But you can do your part, and then also you can make larger strategic shifts in the in the company. We went through an exercise when we were Lucid, where it was clear to the organization because they kept hearing it from people like me, uh, like, "Hey, we really need to think about where we are with salaries because the market's gotten a lot." more competitive. 
And the company responded, right? The company did an analysis that said, here's the average salary per role, and this is what your team members off by, and this is what we're going to give them. Fantastic response to a, a challenge and a timely response to a challenge. So I think that companies can take action as well. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.